You're listening to episode 59 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. We forgot to address this part. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's, you know, without Phil here, um, that silence that you just heard is kind of like our sigh of relief. <laughs> <laughs> You know, uh, <laughs> miss you, Phil. It's, it's a collective like moment of silence for his absence, but also just it's like it's like when you're a parent and you get that rare morning cup of coffee before all your kids wake up, and it's just that dead silence. You're just so it's glad terrible. they're gone. Yeah, you love them. <laughs> you love them to death, but it's like thank God they're not around for five fucking minutes. <laughs> you love them to death, but sometimes you want to. Uh, Emphasize the, the person death responsible part. for their death. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and in Phil's case, um, we miss you. Uh, <laughs> so, so yeah. So Phil's not here again. Uh, he'll be back next week. Uh, he's in Cali, uh, dying. Uh, it's raining ash out there. So yeah, hopefully he's know. not like asphyxiating yeah. or something. Because he he like went to L.A. to visit his brother, where there where it's just currently surrounded by fire. So yeah. To be fair, though, that's that's most of L.A. through most of the summer. So yeah, that's true. I was there once. It's very hot, except for the part where it's December 9th, You know. Look, I'm just saying it's lasted a little longer than normal for <laughs> a, sure. But a little. Well, wait, actually, we still will hear from Phil, right? Because he sent us mail. He did. Yeah, he, he did, did send us mail this week. Gosh, guys, I'm so prepared. Um, <laughs> That's fine. You don't have to do that. You just throw the mail segment to me. I got it. I didn't know there was <laughs> going to be one. Uh, but since we do have mail, why don't we just do that right now? Oh, my God. And okay. Al just sent us uh, one, too. I was going to say, we, we actually have two pieces of mail. Whoa. So, yeah. We should save Phil's because it's it's pertinent to one of the pieces of news that we're going to be talking about. So, I'll just I'll go into. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll go into the other one and we'll save that for the, the hot topics. But, um, all right, so, I'm sorry, how, how, you pronounce his first name before, Marco, how do I say it? Algelis, Algelis. It's, yeah. Algelis. Yep. All right, all right, so we got one from Algelis Gonzalez, who writes in with a random question of the week. Boom. So, he says, hey pals. I'm watching the movie White Men Can't Jump, and it took me back to the days when all I had as a kid was movies like Bad Boys, Coming to America, Die Hard, etc. Old, timeless movies that are rewatchable or constantly on cable. Even though I love these classics, I recall watching these movies and thinking, why aren't there more comic book movies? There was Batman and Superman, but that was it. Now for the past decade, superhero movies have really dominated Hollywood and has been the thing many moviegoers look for, look forward to watching, many of whom are not comic book readers, which says a lot about the content. We have a lot of haters in Hollywood who feel that this type of content is killing the art of filmmaking and overshadowing good films. They even go as far as to say that this type of genre will soon fade out. My question is, do you guys believe these movies to be more than just a superhero genre? Like any story, there has to be a conflict, a protagonist, an antagonist, isn't this form of storytelling more than just a money grab machine? I personally feel these movies to be the new standard and the only type I get excited for. It has its iconography, symbolism, and its strong messages about life. Do any of you guys feel the same way? I would love to hear each of the pals' perspective on this. Love the show. Keep it up. Sincerely, Aglis Gonzalez. He says we could call him Al, but, you know, I already called him his full name twice now, so... Okay, I'll get you next time, Al. <laughs> uh, and then he's... 
Oh, I'm sorry. He has a PS. P.S. To further my point, for years, many people mocked wrestling and wrestling fans for the orchestrated matches and scripted reality. Now, ironically, it is the standard for all network television shows that have countless scripted reality shows and still wrestling gets shunned when they were when they were the pioneers. Thank you, Al, for the longest uh, message we've ever read on the air. <laughs> Weirdly <laughs> enough, that's not true. <laughs> you know what, man? It felt like it. We appreciate it. So to answer your question, this is something we've talked about on the show before. Um... Yes, superhero films can be and are more than just superhero films. I don't know that that's a a, a a genre in that sense because all superhero films, especially, I mean, not I guess not all that have ever been made, but the ones that have been made, especially over the last few years, definitely fall into a genre that's pre-existing. And the only thing that makes it a superhero film is that it's based on X character. So while Ant-Man is a comic book character, that movie was more akin to a heist movie than just a generic film, you know, with Ant-Man in costume. Uh, Logan is a Western, you know, Captain America 2 is a spy movie. You know, you know, there's a lot of that stuff going on. Uh, and of course, there are some movies that are kind of just their own beast unto themselves. Like Captain America Civil War doesn't necessarily have a specific genre other than like action adventure, but that's because it's telling a story that's sort of uniquely embedded in the Marvel universe, more like a, an, a like an episode in a long running television show than, you know, uh, like a movie designed to fit into a certain box. Uh, so that's kind of where the evolution of these films are going in that some of them are specifically genre movies and then others are just a, a portion of a much larger tale, which is definitely what uh, Civil War was. So, yeah, I, th- I definitely think your, ac- your point is accurate. And I think that a lot of people are mad about this because, um, number one, comic books have always been viewed as for children and for geeks. And a lot of people in Hollywood don't consider themselves geeks and they hate kids. So there's that. And then, you know, also the fact that uh, a lot of people probably feel like like the money that's going to these films could be going to other better kinds of films. Except for the part where you consider that before we had these, we had Transformers and we had shitty, you know, Godzilla movies like Godzilla 2000. Uh, there have always been crappy movies, you know. Um, that's not new. And comic book movies are, in a lot of ways, the best thing going right now. Just because there's a lot of them doesn't mean they're bad. Yeah. So to build off your point, Sean, um, I echo a lot of your statements. I would say to to answer your question, Al, um, and thanks again for writing in. We really do appreciate it. I think these movies are, they're in an interesting spot because I really don't know where they're going. I'd I'd like to think that they're different than, um, than just like, you know, like you said, genre movies, because like there is such a thing as just a superhero movie. When you say like a superhero movie, I feel like you do get a sense of like what you're signing up for. But the movies that you mentioned are the movies that break that convention, you know? And I think the more movies we have that break that convention and that do more with these characters beyond just making a super, a quote unquote superhero movie, um, that's going to be what leads to the health and longevity of this genre. You know, is I don't know that we're going to be able to have another 20 Marvel movies if they don't start uh, growing and changing a little bit. But that being said, I think they absolutely have the ability to do that because 
of the wide array of characters that they're dealing with and just how flexible superheroes are in general. You know, um, they're not, it's not the same as like, you know, I, I often make the comparison to the Western genre, which is, I think, like apt because I think that's a place that superheroes run the risk of going um, because all, all trends end. Right. But I do think that they have the ability and have shown the ability uh, to Sean's point in recent years to be able to move beyond um, their roots. And we'll have to see where that goes. Um, but to build off one of the things that you were saying, Sean, is I, I think that, um, the reason that there is so much hate around them is because, you know, partly what you're saying that there is a, I think, a stigma against comic books and superheroes. I also think that they've been on top for so long that it's cool to hate the popular kid, you know, and like Marvel movies are the most like popular consistently critically successful and like mass market successful blockbuster movies every single year since like 2008. So I feel like that's a big part of it. I think that there are a lot of people, especially people in Hollywood that just have fatigue over it. But to Sean's point, I mean like blockbusters beyond or pre Marvel, right? We're like not in a super dissimilar spot. We were getting the same kinds of movies just of a way lesser quality and without the cohesion, you know? And I agree with you that superhero movies are a lot of the hottest movies of the year. And that's why Al is excited about them. Right. And other people are too, is because, you know, I think we were kind of getting tired of a lot of the generic big, big money, big IP blockbusters that were trying to draw us in. And like comic books are a little fresher to most people because like they're not as familiar with some of these characters, but they're invested in the universe now. Like, they don't know who Ant-Man or Doctor Strange are, but they do now, and they care. Like, people are, like, turned on to this stuff right now. So, I don't necessarily see people losing interest as long as they continue to innovate and and bring the quality. And, um, you know, your mileage may vary on, on, on the movies, but they definitely seem to be succeeding. So, I don't think they're going away anytime soon, but... I do think if they just continue to stay the course that we're going to hit a point where people are just sick of them. Yeah. And I, I'll, I'll speak for myself. I, I, I have kind of started to reach that point. I think I, uh, I miss Spider-Man and I don't feel any qualms about that. I, uh, saw baby driver right after and I had the best time. I, I I think that I, I think you're right in that there's a lot of room to be played with in terms of genre within the superhero genre. Um, I guess my worry is that is whether or not they're gonna keep doing it. Thor Ragnarok was a a, a really solid sci-fi movie uh, that touched on a bit of the you know the 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 mythology. I truly think it sits, you know, it, within the ranks of uh, Winter Soldier and um, Iron Man 1 and uh, even even Avengers. But we also had things like Doctor Strange and, and, and even Spider-Man. I, I didn't see it, but, I mean, it was, a, it was another origin movie. It was, you know, the first time we'd seen Spider-Man after, you know, how many other movies. You know, the thing, the thing I am wondering, and especially with the upcoming... 
Avengers 4 reset is how much more of the same are we going to have to sit through? You know, are we going to have to see another Captain America movie to get another Captain America origin story? Or is Marvel going to be, you know, conscious enough that that's still fairly fresh? And they seem like they will be. I, you know, Spider-Man wasn't a, a total origin story, but there were elements of that in there. So, yeah, I don't know. I think, uh, I think, I think ultimately, I think, I think Pete's right. I think that, uh, if, if these companies don't start sort of spreading out a little bit more and even, you know, with, um, image titles or or boom titles uh the announcement of uh goldie vance uh the comic from boom by uh hope larson and um, um Brittany williams uh that was announced i think last week um i was actually more excited about that because it was something a little uh away from the big two well because it's fresh yeah 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 um and, and i think i think we're gonna pretty likely start seeing more stuff like that see you know more indie comics that are a little bit more fresh um start kind of hitting the theaters and stuff i think we're gonna have to that's something we're already seeing too right like kick-ass was one of the first movies to come out during the sort of taking over of hollywood Mm. by superhero films kick-ass and by like just geek stuff in general because scott pilgrim came out at the same time yeah so like they've they've always been right alongside the big two stuff not only is that not changing it's getting even bigger because kingsman was a big success um and we're getting they're taking over on television too with deadly class uh happy coming out uh, and then Amazon, I think or it's either Amazon or Hulu. I can't remember at the current moment is getting Lazarus. So, and then, uh, Netflix is doing Umbrella Academy. Yeah. Right? So they're, they're everywhere. So I think your point, go ahead. I was going to say Amazon is doing Lazarus. Yeah. So I think, I think your point is very apt. And I think that the diversity that we get in comics is just as important in film in order to keep things fresh and to be able to entertain. Every kind of audience member. I'm surprised it's taken so long for Hollywood to really start trying to mine the well of indie stuff because of how successful The Walking Dead is. You know, like I, you would think that there would be more things based on image properties popping up quicker because Walking Dead's been on TV for eight years. Like Walking Dead also has the luxury of being a zombie show, and yeah. it's I That's could true. easily see somebody, a lot of people, thinking it was successful because of that and not because it's a comic book show. A That's lot a of people point. don't even know it's a comic book show. You would just think that, like, with the atmosphere of, like, comic books are the hot thing right now. Like, I don't know. I- I'm surprised that there isn't somebody who's not thinking the same way that I am right now. Because it's – I mean, to be fair, though, it's not like there aren't any other adaptions of image shows or whatever. To to that, though, I think it's it's just an awareness point, like, an awareness thing. Like, who who are you going to know, Batman or – like as as someone who doesn't read comic books, who who are you gonna know, Batman or are you gonna know Saga? Yeah, no, you're totally right. And it, it becomes a thing of having to an and like play up an indie book because you really have to you really have to sell that versus something like uh like a Wonder Woman, a Superman, like anything anything big too because those have such uh they they, they permeate so much in like pop just pop culture in general. It, it it makes it it makes it that much more difficult. Like even Walking Dead, to Sean's point, it has the advantage of being, uh, of, of being a zombie show. So it just it it just works. 
I think I, I also wonder if a lot of that comes down to <clears throat> uh, creator input and uh, creator uh, uh, rights, uh, because a lot of that, I think, you know, I think Robert Kirkman and The Walking Dead, you know, his hands are all over that ball. And I think that oh, um, yeah. I, I think that a lot of indie creators probably wouldn't go anywhere near that at first because it was such a unique situation. That's possible. Uh, I think there was a lot of trepidation probably on the part of um, indie creators at first. I think that now that's going away, especially because a lot of people have seen the way that uh, Walking Dead has been treated. And 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 mind you, this is not something that I, like I know, right? Like I don't talk to these people about this, but it just it just would stand to reason that somebody like Greg Rucka, who cares a hell of a lot about Lazarus, or somebody like Rick Remender, who cares a hell of a lot about Deadly Class, would not want to just jump into the first opportunity that they have without knowing that the, that their product is going to be treated well and that they're going to have say so over it. Rick Remender was on set every day for Deadly Class, you know? Right. And I think that's a huge thing that we've seen as a, as a shift with these properties is that, like, we actually care about comic book creators in Hollywood now, like, in terms of being like, oh, they're actually a key to getting this right and making people happy. And, like, just looking at the power that Kirkman has from going from indie writer with a kind of successful zombie book and superhero book to, like, a major force in Hollywood and a fucking millionaire. Um, I don't, you know, I feel like that's got to be a pretty attractive thing, right? If you've got a really good property that lends itself to an adaptation is like, there are opportunities for you to go and see your vision brought to life, you know, and not have it taken away from you and, and use that as a platform to grow you, you know, and that's, that's huge. Mm Mm-hmm. So thank you uh, very much, Al, for the question. It spurred on a really uh, interesting conversation. Uh, so hopefully that answered the question for you. And always feel free to write to us uh, and anyone else, of course, who wants to do so can do so. Uh, while you're doing that and you're listening to the show, you can hit us up on iTunes and leave us a star rating. We're a five-star rated podcast. We intend to stay that way. We can only do so with your help. So you can leave us the rating on there or whatever podcast hosting platform you choose to listen to us on. We are at the Comics Pals, wherever your social media is sold. You can always write to us on there. Uh, Al chose to write to us at the Comics Pals at gmail.com and dropped his uh, random question of the week there. So feel free to do that. Uh, and then, of course, last but not least, we are on YouTube, where if you are watching this on YouTube, you can leave us a like, drop a comment. Uh, subscribe to the channel and share this video with your friends. Let your friends know that we're out here. We're on the road to 100 subscribers, so help us out with that by harassing your friends. Um, <laughs> Guys, it's both Christmas and my birthday at the end of this month. That's what I want from you. Please go subscribe to our YouTube channel and make me feel important. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, we're going to move on to Pals Pulls. Pals Pulls, of course, is the segment where we tell you guys about the books that we are looking forward to this upcoming week. So, from Kale, we've got Lobster Johnson number five, or volume five, rather. Volume five. That's uh, huge. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, yeah, I didn't realize that that was, that there were so many 
issues of Lobster Johnson. Yeah, it's called, well, it runs in minis. You know, so each each one is a, a different arc or whatever. Like storyline, right? Yeah, it's kind of just whenever Mike Mignola feels like writing. That's cool. Uh, yeah, so if you don't know, I know I talked about it early on and we haven't talked about it much since, but uh, Lobster Johnson is uh, a, a pulp comic. Uh sort of a supernatural pulp comic that's set in the Hellboy universe. Uh, he is a, um, uh, a vigilante that uh, Hellboy read comics of. Um, and it's just, man, it's a really great series. It's really uh, well-written. It's uh, uh, action-packed and very well-paced. The art is always just on point. Um, I can't recommend Lobster Johnson enough. Cool. I, I love books that take place in the universes of other books. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Marco's looking forward to a few books this week. Uh, we've got Royal City number eight. Yep. Uh, Royal City is a Jeff Lemire book. Um, I like when he does his, like, solo. He does uh, writing and art on his books. Uh, he paints in watercolors a lot. So, I, I enjoy the visual style. And Royal City, for those who don't know, is a story about of a, of a writer who comes back to the town that he grew up in and there's like turmoil in the town um he has family problems he's a depressed writer um it, it, it's it's sort of a gloomy book but um it's the story feels very personal um and i, I i'm really enjoying it awesome uh also harrow county number 28 yep uh, i talk about harrow county all the time one of my favorite artists tyler crook uh, one of my favorite horror writers, Colin Bunn. Uh, it's a stellar series, and this arc has been phenomenal. Um, so I, I'm really looking forward to this one. And Grass Kings number ten. Yay! Last one. Uh, uh, Grass Kings is uh, Tyler Jenkins and oh my god, Matt Kent. Um, again, Jenkins' art is uh, amazing. Uh, it's watercolors. I, I have a thing for watercolors. Um, it's a, and it's a story, fetish, Marco. Just say it. It's a fetish. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, the story is really good. It's an action-packed series um, being published by Boom that you guys should check out. Uh, and then Pete and I both chose Mr. Miracle number five. Uh, Pete, you want to talk about this? Um, I'm not, like, caught up on this book yet. I, I read the first two issues, and uh, I, I'm definitely into it so far. Uh, you know, it's I, we've talked ad nauseum about how much we love this creative team. Uh, Tom King is, I think, one of the best writers in the industry right now. And um, and uh, how do you say Mitch's last name? It's Grods? Grods? I, I say Gerard. Gerard? Okay. Right. I don't know. Well, I think it's Gerard. Either way, I'm... Okay, I hope I got it right. Um, sorry if not, Mitch. But, uh, I, you know, he's a fantastic artist. They're the team behind uh, Sheriff of Babylon, which, you know, we've plugged a, a ton over the uh, 59 episodes we've done here. So I, this is another another great book. I don't know where issue five is picking up since I haven't read uh, four or three yet. But, um, yeah, definitely check this one out. Sean, you can probably speak more to it than I have because you're all caught up, right? Yeah, um... It's it's really good. <laughs> I mean, um, not not that that would be a surprise to anybody. Uh, it's going really really well. Uh, I'm falling in love with Mister Miracle. I've always loved Big Barda, and I don't know why. 
but <laughs> um, I'm, I'm loving the character even more through this series and getting to explore what their world is like and the very human elements of their drama as they war with Darkseid uh, has been fascinating. And uh, I'm glad that this is getting a 12-issue run because I don't really... Like, I don't want it to end, but I also don't want it to go on forever either, so... Um, yeah, I feel like Tom really thrives in the, like... Like, maxi-series. Yeah, yeah. Like, the 12-issue format is really, really good for him. Mm-hmm. Um, he comes in, yeah, he, it, he comes in, he tells the story, and, like, leaves while the iron's hot. I mean, wait, ho, 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 ho. Tom thrives in any environment because Batman is on oh, issue 30, fair. whatever, and it's really good. That's fair. And uh, I have to I have to pick up the latest one because of those couple pages that have been making the rounds that are just like that, that whole exchange between Batman and Superman. Or not exchange, but that mirror of them talking about one another that if you're on Twitter, I'm sure you've seen at this point. Um, I was like, God damn it, Tom, you did it again. <laughs> that's 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 our boy. So the other thing I wanted to bring up real fast is that uh, Tyler from the Long Box, host of the Long Box podcast, uh, reached out to me on Twitter to tell me that I should read Doctor Strange number 382. And so I bought it uh, strictly because he told me I should read it. I don't read this comic. Uh, and I was very, very pleasantly surprised. Uh, now, I don't know if I should spoil the surprise. I feel like I, I feel like you can. Uh, what do you think, Kale? Should I go for it? I mean, is it really, really good? I mean, if for me, but for most people, probably not. I don't know, man. I feel like, come on, like if you like, let's let's look at it this way: if you read Doctor Strange comics to the point where you're going to care about a mild spoiler in one of them, don't you think you've probably already read it by the time that you're listening to this episode? Is it a mild spoiler though? Uh, it's the crux of the issue. Like it's the you know like so that's not big... a mild spoiler. The issue though, right? Like it's not like uh, dude, oh, no, no you know better than that. No, 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 no. <laughs> All right, no, so no. I, 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 I'm with Kale. I'm not gonna spoil it, but I do. I do want to say thank you to Tyler for recommending this book to me. Uh, people who happen to know me, I mean, you know, not a lot of people that are listening just know me, but uh, <laughs> people who do know me will will be able to figure it out. This is it's massive. I'm so happy. So oh excited. fuck! I uh, I done figured it out. <laughs> I mean, I know what it's about. I've known what it was about since Tyler brought it up. Yeah, it's the return of a very particular character Ugh. that I happen to be a really big fan of. So I was so oh, so, so, so I was so, about to ask. So, so we're not spoiling it, right? I'm so <laughs> I'm saying it's the return of a character that you know it could be anybody. It literally that could be anybody. Uh, I was I was about to ask. Uh, is this the kind of uh, spoiler that you would recommend me pick up in a trade? So apparently, the answer is no. The answer, <laughs> yeah, the answer is no. I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see this character back, but I'm more interested in what this is going to mean for the Marvel universe going forward than what it means for this particular uh, for this Story. particular run. Yeah. yeah. So we'll see. Uh, jumping into the news, we've Ooh, got sorry. Batfleck watch. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm so sorry. Is that is this the the Donny Cates uh, Doctor Strange, yes. or is this still yeah. Jason Aaron? Oh, J- yeah, Jason Aaron's done. Uh, John Barber had a small run, and then now Donny has taken over. Okay. <clears throat> 
Uh, and, and the issue was solid, by the way. Um, I it, it man, was, uh, he's all over the long box. They fucking love him. He. It sounds like he's hot shit. I had never read anything that he'd written, so I, I had no idea like what to expect. Um, but uh, yeah, he. I, I enjoyed it. So, uh, and then and I should I I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't also mention the art. Um, it's it's by uh, Gabriel Hernandez Walta, who you guys will remember Ooh, nice. from Vision. Uh, he brought mm. some of that flair to this series. Uh, awesome. I, I did enjoy what he did with it, but it wasn't as intricately woven artistically as Vision was. So, sure. Mm. Uh, but that's that's okay. It's not a that's not a slight. Um, so jumping into the news, uh, like I mentioned, we do have Batfleck watch because uh, the will he won't he continues uh, as Variety reports that Ben Affleck will appear in the upcoming Flash film, which has been rumored to be Flashpoint for the longest time, but will not play Batman in the Matt Reeves solo film. Uh, a couple of months Fuck ago... You, ben. <laughs> Being such a baby about this. A couple months ago, Ben Affleck mentioned that he was looking for a cool way to segue out of playing Bruce Wayne, and we speculated on that episode that uh, Flashpoint would be the way he would do that. And now it's looking more and more like that's going to be the case. They're going to do something to get it to where Bruce Wayne looks different for whatever reason. And uh, that leaves the question, who will wear the cow? And the answer, at least if this actor has his way, would be John Hamm. Variety reports that John Hamm really, really wants to play Batman. Um Radar actually is reporting this as well, uh, and Radar reported the following. John, John is gunning hard for the role. Ben and John enjoyed working together and have been on good terms ever since they were in the, the movie The Town together. But John knows Ben has faced some criticism over Batman v Superman and Justice League and frankly thinks he'd be better for the job. This is business for John, not personal. Uh, also, according to them, John Hamm has been courting director Matt Reeves for a while, hoping that he would choose him to play Batman in the solo film. Now, that's great, but there's another wrinkle, which is that Matt Reeves apparently wants Jake Gyllenhaal to play Batman. So what do you guys think of this? And of the three candidates, right, Ben to stay, John to take over, or Jake to take over, who would you most like to see play Batman going forward. I want to see Jake Gyllenhaal, but just because I'm a Jake Gyllenhaal fan, but I think Ham would be the good choice. I, 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 yeah, I'm all in on Ham. Um, I, he's who I've wanted, uh, as Batman for ever. I think he'll be, I think he'll be. Didn't you want him as Shazam? Well, yeah, but at the time Ben Affleck was Batman. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. that wasn't an option. Um, and, and the reason I pick Shazam specifically is because I know that John Hamm has the acting chops to be both like the mighty Marvel powerhouse, uh, but with those childish tendencies. And I, and like, I want to see that performance more than I want to see him portray that character. Does it make sense? Sort of. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it does. It does. Um, but yeah, no, for me, like, 
dream casting is uh, John Hamm as Bruce Wayne? For me, um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little biased because I've always wanted to see John Hamm be Superman. Um, so I've never really thought about him as Batman. Uh, another dream casting for me would be him being Reed uh, in a Fantastic Four movie that's actually good. But he looks too buff. Yeah, whatever. I mean, like he can fucking tone it down a little bit, <laughs> and du- dust up the temples, you know, go a little more science. <laughs> but uh, yeah, if he wants to be Batman, then fuck yeah. Like yeah, I- I'm 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 not against this by any stretch of the imagination. But um, in terms of like either or, it's kind of like I don't really have a strong attachment to the idea of Jake Gyllenhaal or John Hamm as Batman, but I feel like both would re- could really do a, a good job. Um, but if John Hamm is like gunning for it, um, yeah, so let's give him a shot. I have been obsessed with the idea of John Hamm playing Batman for a, a long time. And he was the only actor that I wanted to see play an older version of Bruce Wayne. I was completely against the idea when they announced Batman Superman would have a, an older version of Bruce, but the only way I could accept it and be happy was if John Hamm was playing the character. Uh, now that Ben is exiting, and I don't, I don't think that there's any doubt that he's not going to continue after Flashpoint. I think he's done. He's been hemming and hawing for like over a year at this point. I don't see him sticking around. It's got to be John Hamm. Jake Gyllenhaal is baby faced. Uh, he's not about that life. John Hamm definitely is, and I want that. I I need that. So hopefully we do get it. Yeah, somebody who's who wants it. Like, yeah, like you don't. I, that's why I don't want Ben to be Batman anymore. You know, it's just like I'm so sick of this. Like, will they? Like, is he? Isn't he? Like, just shit or get off the plot. Annoying. You're playing Batman. Yeah. Like, just you're Batman. Like, how do you? Uh, fuck you. Like, just, yeah, I'm over it. Over it. Everybody has that perspective now. And he really kind of, like, got people to sour on him. Because coming out of BVS, um, a lot of people were very fine with what he did. And and a lot of people thought he was really good in the movie. I thought he was good in the movie. What he was given wasn't the best, but I thought he did a good job. Yeah, having only seen Justice League, like, Ben Affleck is not the problem with, with those movies. No. No, right. Yeah, like, I could see him getting a good solo Batman movie, but the fact that he's just, like, been such a, like, baby about this whole thing of, like, I'm not doing it anymore. No, I'm going to keep doing it. No, it's just, like, just, fuck, whatever. I'm over it. Just, like, just recast him. I'm done. And get get Leto out of there, too. Fuck that guy. <laughs> uh, I would like to give Leto one one more chance. Nah, fuck him, dude. He's a creep. I mean, yeah, but <laughs> I, I want to give him one more chance as his Joker. Yeah, no, like, he's got a bunch of, like, I'm I'm waiting the days until he gets his fucking uh, number checked in this whole, you know, sexual abuse oh, thing. Oh, jeez. He's, he's gotten a lot of flack for it, and he's also he? apparently a fucking nightmare on set. Like, I, he was talking shit about being Joker. Like, fuck him, too. Like, let's get him out of there. <laughs> boy, oh, boy. Uh Pete, just firing off. Uh, (laughs) So, I mean, we probably won't hear anything about this uh, for a little while. Um, It's just a it's weird because I don't know. (laughs) Well, (laughs) next two weeks, I bet. Flashpoint hasn't started filming yet. Matt Reeves Batman movie supposed to be 
it was like it's a they've been pushing it back and back and back. I, what's happened? What is going on? You know, um, I feel like Ben must have been on like a three movie contract, and he they're like gonna give him a bigger role in Flashpoint for that to count as his third movie, and then he's out. He's already done mm. three movies. Has he? Yep, he's in Suicide Squad. That that's like a cameo though. Like I I, I don't know. Like I obviously I don't know. You know, this is a hypothetical contract that I'm talking about, but I I don't know that that would count because it, it was so brief. It counts for Samuel but, L. Jackson, but that's true. Well, that's true. But you want Samuel L. Jackson to be in a movie? <laughs> he also had like an unprecedented deal where it's like we're gonna get you for like 24 movies. It's like yeah, all right, let's do it. I'm playing Nick Fury until they put me in the ground. <laughs> Hopefully, uh, but uh, yeah, we'll we'll keep you posted. Batfleck watch will be. Something we do here until he is uh, no longer involved with the character. Ba 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 ba. Batfleck. Watch. Batfleck. What are we? What are we gonna call it? When, <laughs> what are we gonna call it when John Ham is Batman? Hamfleck watch. Ham. Batham. Batham. Ham bat. Batham. Ham bat. We'll workshop it. Yeah. We got time. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so moving right along, uh, this was something that. I thought it was really interesting. Um, Joshua Williamson and Riley Rosmo are working on a comic together. Ooh. Um, and it looks really good. It's called Deathbed Number One. Um, and I just want to read you guys the, um, the synopsis for this series. Myth, hack, sex symbol, stark raving lunatic. All of these words have been used to describe Antonio Luna, the world's greatest living adventure. Or at least he was until 20 years ago, when he mysteriously vanished from the public eye. Now the 90-year-old has returned and claims to be on his deathbed, which is where Valentine Richards, a failed novelist-turned-reporter, comes in. Val is hired to travel to Luna's remote castle home and uncover where the old star has been all these years and just how much of what he says is actually true. But once Val starts to hear Luna's tale, she finds herself entering into an insane world of psychedelic violence and explosive supernatural adventure. This brand new series is a bold collaboration between Joshua Williamson and Riley Rosmo. Before it's through, they promise to take you to the moon and back and everywhere in between, plus some places that are totally off the map. Damn. Yeah. That sounds cool. Yeah. So that's coming from uh, Vertigo, so an imprint under DC. Oh, nice. Uh, I like both of these creators. Uh, uh, Marco and I are both fans of Riley Rosmo. Yeah, I have like a I have like a love hate relationship with him because of his like sketchy style. Like for, it works for me sometimes, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, I'm a fan of his definitely, but like I don't know. I, I so like I'm 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 looking forward to to the to the book because um, I um I I do like Joshua Williamson as well, like from his stuff on Nailbiter. Yeah. Um. So like I'm 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 looking forward to it. Uh, I just gotta I gotta feel out the art though. Give a look to the preview art. Um, yeah, the preview pages yeah. look cool. It, yeah, it looks it looks really good. Um, I I just I really like his style. I'm with you that it's hit or miss. Uh, for me, this is very much a hit, at least on the pages that they've released so far. And I just love Joshua Williamson. The Flash has been so 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 good, and he's a creator that I I'm I'm really attached to right now. So this is something I'll probably pick up. Uh, Marco, do you see yourself gravitating yeah, towards this? Yeah, yeah, I'm. I'm definitely gonna pick it up. Cool. Kale, is this for you? 
Uh, I'll, I'll certainly give it a chance to trade. Uh, but yeah, the this the synopsis and the creative team for sure uh, have my interest. Yeah, it's, it sounds very fresh. You know, it's like I I can't think of another story I've read like that. Um, at least not in a while. Something like kind of like pulpy. Like I don't know. It sounds cool. I'm into it. Definitely. Um, so moving right along, boom has announced a massive uh, crossover for the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Yes. Yeah. It's the 25th anniversary of the Power Rangers, and uh, Kyle Higgins has something major planned, uh, and it's going to be an event called Power Rangers Shattered Grid, and it's going to kick off in Mighty Morphin Power Rangers number 25. So the following is the words from Kyle Higgins kind of selling the book. Call me sentimental, but I love anniversaries. Over the last two years, I've been weaving threads in the pages of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, all leading to the 25th anniversary of the franchise. Shattered Grid is a massive Power Rangers event that's both a celebration of the property and also the largest comic story I've ever tackled. Lord Dracon's plan is so much bigger than our Rangers, our world, and even our universe. The grid is shattering every Power Ranger in existence, is at risk, and it's going to take more than just the Mighty Morphin team to stand against Drakan's armies. That is so freaking cool. Dude. Yeah, dude. I'm pumped for this. I I just finished Volume 3 yesterday. Uh, I mentioned you guys in the chat, and it's like, it's so good. Uh, um, dude, I, the fir- I can't wait for you to read Pink. Like, I, I, yeah, I'm going to start it. I've been all about it. Pink since day one, and I just cannot believe how much I love that book. Pink was good. I liked Pink. Um, I I've been reading Power Rangers since it first came out, and it's oh really? Yeah, I love it. Uh, it's it's excellent. Uh, mm-hmm. Kyle Higgins has done such a good job, and I am very very excited for this event because you know sometimes events they can feel overblown. This feels appropriate. It's the twenty fifth anniversary. Uh, why would you not do something like this? You know, and then you get to see all the Power Rangers ever together. I also, yeah. I also feel like when you think of comic book events, you think of the big two, right? Mm-hmm. I think this will be a, a very fresh take on on a comic book event with the Power Rangers. It's also taking place, which is a with- weird, which is a weird ass thing to say uh, in twenty seventeen. <laughs> <laughs> it's also taking place within the like Mighty Morphin Power Rangers proper, right? It's not a separate... Is it a separate thing? He says it's kicking off um, in issue tw- issue 25. Yeah. So is it just going to be its own thing? Uh, I think it will cross over with Go-Go Power Rangers. Right. But in number I, nine. It's so, yeah. Yeah, I don't think it'll be... I don't know. I can't speculate to that. How many all. Power Rangers... How many Power Rangers ongoings are there two. then? Just two. Two, or, okay. two right now, yeah. Is Gogo like a different team? So Gogo is it's it's more of the high school drama of of the Power Rangers. It's it we see more of their ident their lives as their identities more than and then Mighty Morphin is like them doing Power Ranger stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, it's the same cast though. It's yeah. the OG cast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Marco, I I want to ask because like I'm pretty sure Sean and Caleb both watched the show. Did you watch Power Rangers as a kid? Oh yeah, baby, hundred percent. Okay. Because like it's it's cute to hear you guys all talk about it. Like I have no relationship to the Power Rangers. I wasn't like allowed to watch it when I was a little. Really? Kid. 
and then so yeah yeah uh, sorry no go go it's just like it's weird because like I was allowed to watch things that were animated that had violence, mm-hmm. but like for whatever reason, my mother was like weirdly against the Power Rangers because she was like convinced that I was gonna like play with weapons and kill my friends or something. Huh. <laughs> I uh, yeah, I mean that's very similar. I couldn't yeah read Harry Potter for a very similar reason. Um, oh yeah, see that I was fine with because it's like you can't do magic. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sort of. Uh, this is tangentially related. Um, so I, I'm sure you guys know this, but just in case the general audience doesn't, I don't know how they couldn't. Uh, the way they film Power Rangers is uh, the the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers originally was uh, a series called uh, Super Sentai in Japan. Yeah. I can't remember the exact uh, version that the Mighty Morphin Rangers were, but it's very similar to what we have. It Wasn't it just like Super Sentai Force or something like that? No, was the first I one? think it's like, it, I think that was the first one, yeah, but the first one wasn't Mighty Morphin. The first one we got. Right. Yeah. Um, right, okay, that makes sense. So, this new one, the newest one that's coming out in February is... Um, of Power Rangers or Super Sentai? Of Super Sentai. Uh, okay. Is... Uh, it's going to be called, I believe, Lupin Ranger and Pato Ranger, or uh, you know that to some effect. Basically, it's going to be uh, cops and cops versus robbers, but with Power what? Rangers. There are going to be two separate teams God. of cops and robber Power Rangers. That sounds dope <laughs> as fuck. That sounds ridiculous <laughs> and silly. <laughs> So yeah, power. there's Crook Zoran and he's got a fake fucking crime Man, mustache. I can't wait. He's like, we gotta go rob shit, kids. I'm very pumped <laughs> for it. Power Rangers <laughs> doing big things in 2018 in comics and on the small screen. So really excited. Too bad we're not getting another movie though. Are uh, we not? Are we? I, I thought, thought so. we were getting movie like was a fucking flop. Were we getting like seven or something? There was like plans yeah, yeah. for a bunch of them. All the but then it, all the talk has kind of died now. Now that the movie came out and did what it did, <laughs> but <laughs> maybe it did. Like it didn't make very much money at all. I thought, yeah, I thought the DVD sales would be enough to to push it forward, but I guess not. Doesn't look like it. Yeah. So, uh, in other news, this is actually really cool. Marvel has announced a partnership with Stitcher. And will produce a scripted podcast called Wolverine the Long Night. Huh. It's going to be a one story that will be told over 10 episodes and will star Richard Armitage as Logan. That's, That's kind of cool. Crazy. I'm into that. Yeah. I, I really like that there's like a trend in podcasts right now for like storytelling stuff because it's like, it's literally like the rebirth of old teleplays from mm-hmm. like the golden age of radio. Yeah. And it's the fucking coolest thing. Like, I just love how media is so circular like that, man. You know, like that's, it's fascinating. Like, this is cool. That's a cool idea. So I want to read a, just a couple quotes here from uh, some of the people that are involved with this project. Uh, so, the writer is Ben Percy, and he compares The Long Night to crime-centered podcasts like Serial and S-Town. I'm a massive fan of Serial, personally. And um, S-Town was okay. Uh, <clears throat> I didn't okay. listen to S-Town. It was all right. Yeah, worth a listen, for sure. And so he had, he had this to say about this new project. 
there are all these broken pieces that are being fitted together and a shifting set of suspects. And every episode, you learn more and at the same time, recognize that you've been mistaken all along. It functions like a turnstile of mysteries. Because he's been mind-wiped again and again, he doesn't know the whole truth about his life. Part of the series is him recovering those memories, and despite his attempts to separate himself from society, getting drawn into a situation where frontier justice is called for. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like a Wolverine story. Yeah. Yeah. I'm into it. That sounds cool. It's, yeah, it's something new uh, for, you know, comic book characters to be in that kind of environment. Uh, I think Wolverine's a well, great choice. Sorry? It's it's new for this generation, but it's it's like new old, right? Oh, I guess there's probably never been something with a Marvel character, though, you're right. No, false. Uh, the Fantastic Four had a radio show in the 60s. Uh, uh, really? Oh. Also, little known fact, Bill Murray was the Human Torch. What? Really? Yep. That's an amazing fun fact. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is something I'll definitely tune into. Not on Stitcher Premium, because I ain't paying for it, but uh, they, <laughs> they say that it'll it'll get translated over into all other podcast hosting platforms after a while. So Cool. Yeah, I'll definitely check it out. Yeah. Um, Marvel, in other Marvel news, is launching something called Marvel Rising. Uh, now, Marvel Rising appears to be an initiative that kind of focuses on more, a more diverse cast of characters and uh, the big sort of project is going to be Marvel Rising Secret Warriors which is going to be a feature length animated film uh, that stars some of the younger characters that people are hugely uh, involved with and, and you know that are huge huge um, hugely popular hugely popular right now so Miss Marvel will be one of the characters Kamala Khan uh, and Katherine Kavari will voice her. She's voiced her in the past, so she'll be coming back for that. Uh, Sierra Ramirez will voice Miss America, uh, America Chavez. That's pretty cool. Uh, Milena Vaintrub. Vaintrub. How do we say that, Kale? What's her Milana, name? Milana Vaintrub, yeah. Okay, Milana Vaintrub. Uh, she will voice Squirrel Girl, which is really cool. She's actually going to play her in the New Warriors show. Um, <clears throat> Chloe Bennett is going to voice Quake. Uh, so Chloe Bennett plays Quake on Agent of she- Agents of Shield, and so she's gonna voice her here. Uh, Dove Cameron is gonna voice Ghost Spider, uh, which is Spider Gwen. Not sure why they changed her name, but yeah, um, I don't. I'm not crazy about that new name. I don't like that name either. Yeah, yeah. that's dumb. Uh, but Dove Cameron is also she was just cast in the new season of uh, Agents of Shield as well. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As who? Oh, some shield person? No, I'm- shield person. <laughs> they better not waste her on a shield person. Hopefully, she gets the ghost a spider recurring role. Uh, Tyler Posey will voice Inferno, and uh, Camille McFadden will voice Patriot. I love that. Uh, Kim Raver will voice Captain Marvel. D. Bradley Baker will voice Tippy Toe and Lockjaw. Uh, if you, <laughs> nice. if you yeah. check out, if you know D. Bradley Baker, he'll do literally everything else. <laughs> If you check out the picture that they associate with, so they, they have a picture of him and then a character he's going to play, they do not go together. It's actually really funny. Um, and then Bobo Stewart will voice Exile. That's an inhuman character I'm unfamiliar with. Uh, Sky Jackson will voice Gloria Grant, a friend of Gwen Stacy's. Uh, Stephen Webber will voice Captain Stacy. 
And finally... What universe is this? In? This is so weird. I know. Okay. Ming-Na Wen will voice the villainous Hala, not to be confused with Hela. So that's the cast for that show. Hala. Yeah. <laughs> so, Sean, as you're reading off these names, um, it's sort of thought and that, I mean, is this going to kill Marvel? Like, <laughs> knowing knowing that diversity like is destroying the what is like what is comics and the comics industry like what is this is this what effect is this going to have uh it's going to end everything actually um not just marvel Fucking um, the entire SJWs. world i mean listen yeah five <laughs> five out of six of the main characters four out of the six main characters are uh people of color so i'm you know and women everything is at risk guys <laughs> There's not one white man on this team. Yeah, that's a big problem. I'm that's, personally concerned. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but in all seriousness, this is actually super cool. Uh, I'm really excited. And then the other thing that they announced is that um, there are going to be six four-minute digital shorts uh, that star um, Spider-Gwen that are going to be kind of Spider-Gwen focused. So this is <laughs> that explain how she ends up in this fucking universe or whatever because this makes no sense. I don't even care about that. I want to know how she got that dumb name. Uh, <laughs> she died and then was brought back to life in the proper universe. That's why she's the ghost spider. Now, that I wouldn't hate. <laughs> oh God. Uh, <laughs> she's basically Danny Phantom, but with spider powers. Now, see, all right, this sounded better and better. <laughs> I'm, I'm workshopping this. <laughs> Sana Amanat, who uh, I am a big fan of, um, she's Marvel's director of content and character development, spoke to BuzzFeed and had this to say about the series. Came out of a desire to be able to tell stories about characters that we think are the next great heroes of the Marvel Universe. I think it's incredibly important that we tell young women and young girls that they have this incredible power within themselves and that they have heroes out here who they can look up to, especially in these times. So, yeah, uh, I think that's a great message. And I think that this is a show that can definitely, or, or a movie, I guess, that can definitely speak to a lot of different people, not just young women and girls, but I think um, young children in general and, and old children, you know, like everybody who doesn't who doesn't want this. You know, this is fantastic. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I also think this is a really, really good way to do what they're trying to do. You know, we've been talking about for a long time how there's not a problem with diversity at Marvel. Marvel, there's a problem with how they handle diversity, right? Like, you know, Sean, you've been vocal saying how much you like a lot of these new younger characters that they're introducing. You just don't like how they've been introduced. That, like, they've pushed older characters aside or that, like, some of the ongoings haven't been very good. Like, there's been a lot of issues with, you know... um, Getting books that I think live up to the example that like Miss Marvel set when it came out and really like shook things up. And I feel like doing an animated movie like this is a great way to expose young, a younger generation to this new cast of characters that, you know, we, we talk about all the time about how so many of us got into comics because of cartoons and like they won't know the difference between the Marvel Universe's OG proper characters and then this new cast if they are exposed to them in the right ways. If this movie comes out and it's great, they're going to, you know, to them, Miss Marvel's going to be, you know, 
Kamala Khan from now on. They're not even going to know Carol Danvers in that way. That's going to be and their, like, their Miss Marvel. Yeah, and like that could be a really good thing, you know, because I, I, like, we need characters like this, you know? We need to have better representation for all of the people of color and women that read comics. But I also think, like, it's just good for the Marvel Universe to get new blood because we can only tell the same stories with the same characters so many times, you know? And, like, we didn't used to be so averse to new characters, you know? Like, you look at, like, like just look at DC and, like, how the, like mantle of the flash meaningfully changed hands for the first time. And then there was a whole generation of people where like, you know, they didn't have the same relationship to the, you know what I mean? Like there's just generation of comic fans and like, no matter when you grow up, you have a different connection to different characters who held the mantles. And like, I think establishing new characters for a new generation is a good thing. Yeah, uh, absolutely. That's, that's why I love what they do in the animated space because on those shows, uh, characters like Miles Morales uh, and Miss Marvel, they've already appeared and kids are getting familiar with them. And to them, there isn't kids aren't kids aren't the same as us. They're not watching these shows and going, oh, well, how come there's two Spider-Man? How come one is black? It doesn't matter. They're just watching it. And the kid. And yeah, they're like, oh, there's two Spider-Man. OK, yeah, it's not a it's not a problem. Uh, so this is a way to further that. And, uh, you know, people who have problems with this need to beat it, you know, cause this is what it is. And this is great. Does anyone else think it's kind of weird that Miles isn't on this team? Uh, like, well, I'm all for Gwen Stacy, but I-, I thought it was a little weird. Sony has their own Miles Morales film coming out. So, right. Okay. That makes sense. So it, it, it lose that pleases maybe only me. Uh, Definitely Entertainment Weekly. <laughs> Entertainment Weekly had their big sort of expose with um, X Men Dark Phoenix, and we got a lot of information about what this movie is going to be, including our first look at uh, Sophie Turner as, I guess, the Phoenix. I'm in love. <laughs> I really. Yep. Yep. Uh, she looks great. I love the, I, I don't know if I love the like skin cracky thing that they do. Um, it's okay. We'll see how it looks on screen. Hopefully they don't do it exactly this way. I like it as an image, but in motion, I'm not so sure how I'm going to feel. Uh, the Phoenix that we got in, in, um, the last stand was awful looking. So to me, this is this is a huge step up from that, uh, and and like I said, we got a ton of information about the film and what it's going to be. Um, so this, the following, is sort of how she becomes or or how the Phoenix gets unleashed in her. The X Men, including Jean Grey, Cyclops, and Mystique, are heroes when the film begins and sent up to save some stranded astronauts. But a solar flare hits the X-Jet and all hell breaks loose. Jean absorbs those solar flares and then hurls them back into space. That's what triggers, awakens, creates the Phoenix and voice inside her. What appears to the world to be another heroic victory by the X-Men in saving stranded people in space, we realize is this thing that begins the unraveling of Jean and the unraveling of secrets Charles told her. Now... 
this movie, I should say, takes place 10 years after uh, Apocalypse. So it takes place in 1992. And what was left out of that description is that the reason why the X-Men are in space doing this is because Charles Xavier has gotten more arrogant because the X-Men have done so well over the last 10 years that he kind of thinks that he, that his vision is unstoppable. And so sending them into space, they're totally safe. Um, and then, of course, things go wrong uh, because of what happens to Jean. What's weird, though, is that she uses powers akin to the Phoenix in Apocalypse. So I'm not sure, like, why... Like, okay, so she uses them again here, but it's already inside of her. So I, I'm a little confused about um, about that element of this whole deal. Uh, do you guys have any initial thoughts about this? The image, the description? The, the synopsis certainly sounds better than most X-Men films. Uh, so I don't know. We'll see, I guess, but I, you know, it's not on my radar. Yeah. I'm like really not excited for this movie I, and I, I, I wish I was, and I, I don't think it's impossible for me to come around on it, but I'm kind of with Kale on this one where, um, this image doesn't do anything for me. I saw it and I honestly thought that you were going to like be like heartbroken because I think it looks really bad. Um, but I'm, I'm glad you like it, so I don't, I don't mean to, like, shit on it, but you asked my opinion. Um, Believe me, I don't as, care. It's okay. <laughs> as, as, as far as, like, the synopsis goes, um, that sounds good. You know, like, that sounds like the setup to a, a good X-Men story. I like that it's set in the 90s. Um, there's a lot of things here that I think could make for an interesting movie. It's just really going to be all about how it comes together, and considering, like, the last one that kind of feeds into this one was such a mixed bag like i'm interested to see where this goes but i don't know that i'm necessarily like on the train yet i'm here for it really yeah i'm i it, it i like uh the the dark phoenix saga like I, I i love that story the story after that is my favorite um so i don't know i I want to go in uh, with positive thoughts uh, on this one because I, I do want to see the X-Men and this storyline brought to life um, and told in a and told well. So I hope in the execution, you know, we see that. Yeah, uh, obviously, I, I have the same hopes. Uh, obviously, though, I also have some big fears. Mm-hmm. Um, one of those is that Simon Kittenberg is directing. This is his first direct. This is his first movie. And that's weird. He actually talks about the fact that this is his directorial debut. Uh, I don't have the quote right in front of me, but um, he's, he, he, he essentially says that he that this story is so important to him that he couldn't imagine letting somebody else control how it was told. And that's weird. Because you're not a director. <laughs> he's a producer. He's produced all these movies. And so he has a lot of sway in terms of what these, you know, what the, what the direction is. But for you to feel like you need to sit in that chair and be the person who drives the ship in that regard, that's super arrogant to me. Uh, just because he's never done it before. So I'm not sure how to feel about this. This That does not mean he can't do it well. It just means that it's a red flag. Um, 
some of the stuff that they've talked about regarding Magneto's role sounds really cool. Uh, apparently, in the 10 years since Apocalypse, he's established Genosha, which oh. means a lot of cool things for... Fuck. Right. Um, and uh, one of the things that's going to happen is that when Jean sort of unlocks these powers, she turns to him for help because he's always been one of the most powerful mutants in the world. And now that he's established this like mutant safe haven, she goes to him for advice, for help, for training, maybe. So that's really cool. Uh, and then the other interesting thing, and this gives me hope that they'll follow the comic book story to some degree, is what role Jessica Chastain is actually going to play in this movie. So, um, We've we've heard some things about what she might be doing, but the Entertainment Weekly article gives us a lot more information. So um, this is from the article. Her character is way smarter than we are. What she realizes is she can use Jean Grey to manip- manipulate this world, to turn it against itself. And then this, what I'm about to say, is uh, also from the article, but it's more of a description of the character. An otherworldly shapeshifter who manipulates Phoenix for her own agenda. Chastain's villain is quiet but brutal. The actress herself also revealed a bit more, stating that her inspiration for the character is the vet who tells you you need to put your dog down. There's something very clinical about it. So, in the comics... The, the role of manipulator is played by Mastermind. Mastermind is the character who kind of manipulates uh, Jean Grey into turning into the Dark Phoenix and joining the Hellfire Club. But a lot of people think, and rightfully so, that Jessica Chastain is actually playing a scroll. Not just any scroll, but Varanki, the scroll leader. The reason is because the article says she's playing an otherworldly shapeshifter. There were rumors of the Fox universe using the scrolls for the X-Men films and then crossing over with the Fantastic Four. Those rumors came out a long time ago. So this could be the first step in that direction, which is actually very cool. What do you guys think about that? It's it's really interesting, especially when you consider what our main topic is yeah. today. Yeah. yeah. You know? Um because even if that is their plan, it doesn't necessarily seem like it's going to come to fruition. But in the context of this movie, that sounds great. I would love to have because there's like a you know there's a more cosmic element here. They're going to space, like yeah, that that can be really cool. And um, you know, the the it sounds like they're saying all the right things. You know, like there's a lot of elements here that are like, man, this is like very much my X-Men, you know, like this is the shit that I like was really formative for me with like getting into that team. So like I'm about it. I think the fact that I am attached to it is what makes me so concerned too. It's like, I really want it to be good. And I'm kind of trying to guard myself in case it's bad. <laughs> you're, I mean, you're, listen, you're way less of a sucker than I am. Like I, <laughs> dude, with all the stuff that I know, right? Like, and all the bad, the reasons why this could be bad, like apocalypse being what it was and stuff like that. I don't care. I don't care. I see Sophie Turner. <laughs> I'm in bro. She looks fucking fantastic. I love everything about Sophie Turner. I, I just I couldn't be more excited for this and I have no great reason to be. 
but the, but they're saying all the right things too. There was an article about how they recognize what went wrong with Apocalypse. Uh, this is taking place in the '90s, which is cool. Uh, Sophie Turner, Sophie Turner, Sophie Turner, um, Genosha. Like, there's so much good, but but like it's Fox. I don't know. And then speaking to your earlier point, putting aside the Disney Fox acquisition situation, right? Disney is using the scrolls in Captain Marvel. So how is that going to work out, right? Like, if they're, are they going to just share the scrolls and have it be all good, or is it going to be a Quicksilver situation? Because. Yeah, or we can't call them scrolls or something. You, you, right. And then on top of that, Quicksilver just died in Age of Ultron, right? Like, he was used for one movie and then that was it. Is it going to be that? Like, what? Where is this going? Just forgetting the the acquisition, because this obviously these plans came way before, and the idea of sharing the scrolls came way before. So, what? Like, how does this work? I don't know. I really don't know. And, and the thing is, is like, I feel like it's a moot point because of our main topic, right? Of like, there is so like, I bet there was some kind of weird deal that came up to be like, okay, here's how we're going to do it, so that you know. This is our side of town and that's your side of town. But like, it feels like in a couple weeks, it's not even going to matter. You know, like we're going to get through the rest of these movies and then it's like going to be fucking New World Order. Yeah. Uh, Like this might be the last X-Men movie from Fox. You know, like, fuck, I don't know. Like, I have no fucking idea, you know, like. And who knows, like, the conversation that you're talking about, I wonder if that was, like, the first step to them being like, you know what, fuck this. <laughs> like, let's just, let's just buy them and get Futurama and The Simpsons while we're at it. <laughs> well, you keep alluding to it, so we might as well just jump right in. Yeah, thanks, Pete. So, we're just gonna, we're gonna jump right into it. We're gonna talk about Disney and the reports that they are very, very, very close to signing a deal with Fox that would lead them to uh, acquiring 21st Century Fox's film and TV properties. Now, we've talked about this on the show before. Um, The talks started in November, and then they just kind of stalled out. And I think we all thought, all right, well, they're over. Um, But they resumed, and they resumed last week, according to reports. And now they're very, very, very close to... This being, you know, a a done deal. Um, And I don't necessarily want to talk about, you know, like, oh, what will they do with these characters and stuff like that? Because we talked a little bit about that. We'll talk more about that if it's finalized. Right now, what I think we need to talk about is whether or not we should actually be excited for this and whether or not this has the the, the potential to ruin what Marvel has going and usher in the end of the uh, honeymoon phase of superhero films. Uh, so how? So these are the big questions. How can all of the characters Marvel would have the rights to exist under the same banner and receive equal treatment without Disney cannibalizing itself by publishing too many superheroes per super many superhero films per year? And another big question is, given that Marvel is unlikely to ever break from their their, their formula, uh, that means that movies like Deadpool and Logan would never have been made. 
if Marvel owned the rights from the beginning. Are we at risk of superhero films becoming too samey and losing out on the different voice that the Fox films have previously offered? So those are the questions that I have. Um, But before we jump into that, I do want to read Phil's take since Phil's not here. For some reason, he feels like he has say-so enough to write in. Um, But we will read his take, and then we'll respond to his take. So, Pete, take it away. Okay. So, Phil writes in with an email called Takes. He says, Hi, friends. As As you know now, I am in L.A. pursuing an acting career for the weekend. If I don't successfully become the next Chris Pratt by next week's episode, then I guess it didn't work out. The main reason I'm writing to the Comics Pals is really just to comment on this Fox and Disney business. I touched on it a few episodes ago, but in light of it seeming more likely, it's important to restate and clarify. Looking at this from the lens of, oh boy, now I'll get to see Wolverine and Doctor Doom on the same screen as Iron Man and Loki is an extremely narrow perspective. The erosion of trust-breaking and actual governmental regulations over the last 40 years has paved the way for fed- feudalist shit, but instead of lords, it- it's with CEOs. And Reagan getting rid of the anti-monopoly laws in 1984 has paved a really problematic road to shit like this. Disney buying the rights to their own characters is one thing, but Disney buying a whole other entertainment juggernaut is another. This is unilaterally bad, and it cannot be understated enough. I'm so, I'm so glad he wrote in to say that, because I was worried I was going to have to be the one to take that position, and I'm so glad it, I don't have to. Like, I, I yeah, listen, I, I agree but I don't know how to argue it at all. So I'm great. This I'm over the moon. Let's shut it down. This is the end of the episode <laughs> for me. I'm phoning it in. <laughs> so first of all, I want to make this point. And this is, this is coming from an article uh, um, from... Shit, where's the article? Gosh, uh, I don't have it in front of me. Um, but it, 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 the, the point that I was going to make is that Fox, 21st Century Fox, was always going to sell to somebody. Uh, Comcast was one of the people that they were looking to sell to. They've had suitors for a while. This is not, this isn't Disney just coming in like a big bully wanting to take over. They're one of the potential suitors, and Disney is the one that's the most attractive to Fox. That's what this is. Um, But is there... Like, is there regulation to stop them from doing this, whether or not Fox wants to sell? No, no, there's not. Um, I mean, like, they're, 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 that's what's supposed to happen, right? Like, the, the government is supposed to break up monopolies, but Disney doesn't have a monopoly. Disney is increasingly becoming bigger and scarier and scarier, but the way that, you know, to, to, to the point that Phil made, the way that things have gone since the 80s basically has made it so that, like, the size you have to be to be, a, you know, to be in danger of actually being broken up is insane. All you need to do is look at the biopoly that we have in both uh, operating system technology, you know, and um, and internet providers, you know, unless you live in like California or like Texas, you probably have two internet providers at best. In some places, you only have one and they just cut it up like gangs territory and the government doesn't step in and do anything, even though they absolutely should, because the government is is in bed with your ISP. 
And you look at Microsoft and Mac, and there was an issue in the, I think it was the late 80s or early 90s, where Apple almost went under, and they allowed Bill Gates, who is the fucking CEO, owner, and operator of Microsoft at the time, to buy, like, 49% of the company or something like that. Fact check me on the number. But a significant portion of the company, but not enough to, like, control it, just so that he could keep his competitor in business and not have the government come and break up Microsoft. So the government doesn't step in to do shit like this unless it's absolutely fucking forced to. And I agree with that when it comes to uh, required services, internet providers being one of them. It makes total sense. You need options because if you don't have them, then people can do whatever they want. I'll use an example that is relevant to me uh, to explain my feelings about this situation as it relates to the monopoly issue or Disney just becoming too big in general. The WWE has, it's the only game in town as far as American wrestling is concerned. When it comes to American wrestling, uh, their next biggest competition doesn't even have national syndication. Whereas WWE is everywhere. A lot of people don't even say wrestling. They say WWE or WWF when they're referring to wrestling. Because it's so big that it's become synonymous with the thing that they do. Uh, UFC is similar. A lot of people don't say MMA. That's changing now. But a lot of people have always said UFC to refer to the thing that the fighters do in the octagon. Because UFC is so big that people just associate it directly with MMA. Why is that a problem? It's not a problem. Uh, UFC provides great... um, uh, mixed martial arts, but if mixed martial arts ceases to exist, then it ceases to exist. It doesn't matter. If WWE sucks and there's no more WWE and wrestling ceases to exist, that sucks, but it doesn't matter. So in a similar regard, I don't think that Disney taking over Fox puts uh, regular people in jeopardy of anything other than the entertainment that they have access to being controlled in some regard by Disney when it comes to, um, you know, the films they produce and the television that they produce. But if it sucks and we get tired of it and we stop watching, then they go bankrupt and then somebody else takes over. What's the problem? So I, I would say I exist somewhere in the middle of those two. What I would look at is extreme opinions. I don't think that there's no problem to Disney becoming larger and larger because if Disney's the only game in town, that is a problem. You know, you don't want one company to control so much of the creative output that is able to exist, right? Because that gives them a control where, you know, you do, you, you want to have a diversity of opinions because if there's another company that's as big as Disney pushing, that means that Disney like has competition. And like, granted, you're right. Disney's in the business of, business of making money. And I don't think that they're an, an analogous to the other things that we're talking about because they're not gouging us by driving up the rates of movies or anything like that because they control so they much of the game, are, right? That, that's kind of funny. They are. Wait, really? Yeah. Um, this isn't part of the news, but uh, this is something that's been ongoing, which is that Disney. So basically, the way it works is that's right. The, I've heard about this. Yeah, the the way it works is that the the film company takes a certain amount of the take from a ticket sale, and then the movie company, uh, or the the 
the gosh um the theater takes a, a, a take okay. as well well disney has um they want more of the the money from the ticket sale and so as a result ticket prices have gone up for certain disney movies so like they charge more they want more for like star wars and then on top of that um they control how you show the film so like if you want to show star wars you have to show it x amount of times a day on x amount of screens and if you don't do that you can't have star wars so like wait a lot of smaller chains have elected not to show Star Wars because Disney wants you to show Star Wars X amount of times on X amount of screens for X amount of weeks. And if Star Wars isn't hot in your town four weeks after it came out and you can't afford to show it on four screens, then Disney will penalize you. And so a lot of people have just not, they've elected not to show it. I mean, then that, I didn't know that. That's awesome. Thank you for that information. Um, that proves the point that Phil's concerned about and that exists on that. That is the problem. Like, if Disney owns this other major conglomerate, like now they have the rights to all of those things as well. And now when you look at the spread of major Hollywood movies that come out, right? Like, okay, yeah, it used to be that Disney put out half of them. Well, now maybe they're putting out 75% of them. And that's a problem because that means that they can continue to do that and do what they're doing. But there are counters to even that because just because they own more of the intellectual property doesn't mean that they have the same it doesn't mean they have any more capacity to produce things so for example and and then cannibalization also becomes a problem so for example if they if they put out right now uh let's say they put out three um superhero films a year if they acquire disney or if they acquire fox then do they put out more do they put out the same amount like how much more can they put out before they start to see a reduction in the intake because people just don't want the same thing over and over again? I don't know, man. Like you're you raise an interesting point, but I'm I'm not totally sure just because the the Fox superhero movies exist and they make money. So to think that we're just going to lose all those and have them subbed in with MCU movies with the same characters, I don't think that's crazy. How but how how can they afford to do that? How can they So so the reason why these movies make so much money is because okay, cool. Um there's a spread between how often we put out our movies. We put out 3 a year. Let's say you only want to see movies made by Disney, right? You only want MCU movies and the three per year that they put out right now is good enough for you. So you never go see the Fox films. It's not on your radar, right? But if there are six movies every single year that are all MCU movies and you... That's what I'm saying. I don't think they'll do six, Let me finish my point. You only (laughs) want to see three, but now there are six that you're not automatically guaranteed to go see all six because you were only doing three before. Yeah, but I think six is a lot. I don't think four is... I don't think it's insane to think that they'll go to see four. I don't think it's insane to say that they would go see four either, but I also don't think it's insane to think that they put out four right now. That's true. But I, I guess what I'm saying is... I, I I think the like the scenario that you're describing, that's definitely bad, right? Like I think if they do have six Marvel movies a year, that is going to hit an oversaturation point. I think you're totally right about that. I just think that what we'll probably see is a restructuring of their plan for the next phase of movies. And I don't think that they'll 
that they'll necessarily put out twice as many movies to like fill the gap that Fox is leaving. I think that they'll just be leveraging these new IPs that they have. And maybe that means that they put out four movies a year instead because they're like, well, there's no more X-Men movies. So we have space for that now. But I think if anything, they'll just, you know, they won't have a competitor and the money that would have been brought in by the X-Men movie now goes to Disney. That to me is that that's how I think it would go. But to, to something that Sean said, um, like they, I don't think this maybe the the MCU scheduling will change, like the the way that the movies are laid out and stuff. But I don't think the actual production, like this, doesn't affect their production capabilities. So them actually producing another movie just because they have the property, I don't think that will be something that we'll see. I I think like it'll be it'll probably be laid out over a longer period of time, but we're not going to see them suddenly start knocking out like four or five movies because i mean the production schedule that the production capabilities and scheduling that they have now is where they're i'm I'm assuming is where they're capping it at i don't know i mean mean, if that's the case do we even run the risk of six movies a year i don't think so no no i don't know i i i i don't know that i agree with that assessment i mean it's disney They've got, I mean, at this point, they're up there in money terms with Apple and God. Like, I... (laughs) I mean, they make more money than Apple, don't they? I think they're the second highest earning company behind Comcast. Oh, is that true? Okay. (laughs) I really thought you were going to say, and they make more money than God. I mean, honestly, honestly, (laughs) they probably do. (laughs) Uh, So, I, I don't think it's unreasonable that they'll bite some bullet and start producing more. You know, assuming this is the case, like I, I, I think they completely have that capability. Let's say they do, right? If you look at, <clears throat> if you look at, for example, what happened uh, with Thor and Justice League, which was that Thor came out and it did really well, right? And then literally two weeks later, Justice League came out and Thor was still making fifty million. You have to imagine that some of the money that Thor made cut into Justice League's bottom line. Marvel or Disney is going to have expectations for how much money these films can make. And Marvel has historically spread their three films out. And, you know, when it was two and whatever, they've spread them out over the course of the year to not eat into each other. And they've had to do that with the Fox films and they've had to do that with uh, the DC films as well. If... Disney has an expectation for how well each of their movies do, but they put out so many, so many that they're cannibalizing the sales from each other. Then that's actually hurting them because these movies cost a, a certain amount of money to make and they have to receive a certain amount of money back. That doesn't change. Nothing changes because they're not, they're like them acquiring Fox costs them money. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't make them money. So when they produce these films, they need to make money. And if they cannibalize the sales by having too many movies out, then they're not making the money that they need to make in order to justify putting out these movies. So if they put out six movies and they eat each other alive, they could have just put out four and made more money. Yeah. But that's, but that's the thing, right? Is like they're only putting out three. So I don't, I don't know why you're jumping to them putting out like six where they're going to cannibalize their sales. I don't think they're going to do that. I think if anything, they'll use the the one space in the year where they because there's four quarters right the one quarter they don't put out a movie they'll put out an X-Men or a Fantastic Four movie now instead and then 
and there's no Fox movies. So the two or, you know, whatever X-Men movies that we might have gotten or the one X-Men movie that we might get doesn't exist. The reason why I'm making that jump is because uh, a lot of people are acting as if that's what's going to happen. That there are just all of a sudden going to be all of these movies that that Marvel's putting out per year that they're going to keep up with, you know, their their stuff plus what Fox does per year. That's not realistic. It's also not possible. And so you were arguing that it's a, that it's a problem. I'm telling you that four movies is not a big deal. They're not going to up their production of these movies that much. So what does it Probably change? Not. What's like what what's the issue there? Well, cuz I mean it is an issue though still because it's the bigger issue of like so if they don't up their production and we still just get the three Marvel movies a year and we sub in the Fantastic Four and, and X-Men stuff as well, then you do lose the competition. You know, you you lose the only other company that's putting out competent superhero movies, you know, except for, I guess, you can argue that DC's maybe getting their shit together now. But if that's the case, like, I think that is a problem because then again, like Marvel's the only superhero game in town. And if your favorite superhero movie was Logan or Deadpool, like you're not going to get another movie like that, probably. Well, and you can argue that maybe they'll be willing to, you know, try to do something a little more outside of their comfort zone. But I don't know that that's the case. That's a di- yeah, that's that's a different argument. I was talking about the argument of production. But if you're talking about the 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 films themselves and what they'll be like. That well, yeah. that, that's that's a separate that's a separate thing, and I think that there's merit to what you're saying. Go ahead, uh, Marco. Uh, I also wanted to just bring up, like, I mean, we're we're limiting this to movies right now. I mean, we could very much have like TV shows with like that's some true. of these characters. So, like, you know, th- there could be cross production. Uh, or there could, there could be production across platforms as well, like not just like the, the movies, but we could have something on Hulu. We could have something on Netflix. So. Um, something on Disney's new platform. Something on Disney's new platform. Yeah, like they. I mean, they can even be released only on Disney's new platform. So there's, it's it's not just like the film thing that we have to probably consider. Um, I mean, it is like the biggest part of it, but just throwing that in there, like also. Yeah, well, and, and I think uh, to counteract one of the things that you're saying, Sean, I actually wonder if Disney's output capacity won't grow from this because yeah, it costs them money to buy 21st century Fox, but now they have all that infrastructure, you know, like that entire conglomerate is the thing that they own now. And like, when you think about how many things that 21st century Fox produces, like, I don't think that all those things are going to just stop. Like all of a sudden Disney's going to own the Simpsons, you know, like, and they're going to own all these other properties that are going to make them a ton of money. So there's a great article by Newsarama, uh, and it is written by Michael Doran. We'll have a link to it. And he talks about this very issue. And I do want to read from this because I think it's very important to add some context. Um, 2018 features six Marvel films between Disney and Fox. And that isn't even counting Venom and the animated Spider-Man from Sony expected later next year. Of those six films, The New Mutants coming out April 13, Avengers Infinity War May 4th, Deadpool 2 June 1, and Ant-Man and the Wasp June 6, all consecutively open within three to six weeks of each other, and that's not even mentioning Disney's other tentpole offerings during that time frame, like a certain Star Wars solo adventure. 
either integrated into the same narrative universe or not. It's a fair and astute question to ask if Disney would take a macro marketing and financing approach and cut down the number of Marvel superhero films they produced and released in any calendar year. Cannibalization could become an issue. A bigger issue if the films are all under one roof than it is now that they're spread around. Now, maybe even if you're a fan, you think there's too many as is and less would be more in this equation. He goes on to talk about um, what the strain would be on their capacity to produce quality films, because now if they're if they were theoretically producing so many and had so many more in the pipeline that Kevin Feige and the masterminds behind the MCU would not be able to keep up. I don't agree with that point, but only if the the thing that I just read doesn't happen, because if if there are a lot of reasons why Disney would be stupid to up their production of these movies, and one of them is quality. So you mentioned Logan. And you mentioned Deadpool. I guarantee you that if they had the rights to those characters from the beginning, we wouldn't have gotten those movies. Because they wouldn't have felt the need to do that. Fox, whether you like their movies or not, they're hit or miss for me, has tried to do some different things. Logan and Deadpool are representative of those different things. Marvel has not shown the willingness to make an R-rated movie. Kevin Feige talked about the fact that they could theoretically do it, and they're not vehemently opposed, but he's never seen a time when it was required by them, although he thought Logan was good and and, and, and needed. Um, would they be willing to make that same choice? I'm not inclined to say so. So if that happens, like you have to assume that there are people who just like Fox movies. And don't care. Like Phil. Uh, right. And don't care about what Marvel does. So if the the X-Men movies all of a sudden feel like Marvel movies and lose the flavor of Fox, there will be people who won't go to see those. It yeah. like all that stuff matters. Go ahead, Kale. I I don't know. Do you think you you think that I don't know, that's a semantics argument at that point, but I I guess I I would argue that people care more about the X Men than the Fox flavor. I could be wrong. I agree. Uh, except except within the terms of like Logan and Deadpool. Uh, but uh, yeah, I could be wrong. I think in the main, as far as the mainline X Men movies go, I agree with you, Kale. I don't I don't think that it's that they're so different from the MCU movies tonally that that's why people like them. I think people just like the X Men. Logan and Deadpool are standouts, and when it comes to like. Um, that aspect of like the creative stuff, it's interesting because I don't know that they wouldn't. Like, I think Kevin Feige's words, right? Like, there's no, there's never been a reason for them to, right? Yeah, you're right. I don't think any of the characters that they have in the MCU right now need an R rated movie. But I think Deadpool does need an R rated movie. And if they get the rights back to Deadpool, Deadpool's a moneymaker. And you said before, Disney's in the business of making money. Like, if they can make a Deadpool movie that is in their universe, that, you know, is still totally what struck a chord with people and gets the character, right? I think that's, I don't think that they're going to like Disney-fy Deadpool, you know? Like, yeah, I, I think like, I don't know though. I, I don't, I think that that's, I think that argument is a little bit like short-sighted about the things that Disney owns. 
You know, like, I, I think, like, Disney as a company, like, wants to appear family-friendly when it's the Disney name on stuff. But they own plenty of companies that produce, like, adult content that is fine. Like, that they're not, like, you know, it's still Disney stuff. It's just not Disney brand. What, what I'm saying is not – it's not that – it's it's not that Disney would never produce something R-rated. It's that prior to Logan and Deadpool releasing, there wasn't a precedent for this. So there's no okay. there's no reason to think that they would have just been like, oh, hey, we have Wolverine. We're just going to make an R-rated Wolverine movie. So I think with Logan, you're 100% right. I don't think Logan happens if it's not made by Fox. That's... I, I think I the same with Deadpool too. I, yeah, I, I agree do too. I don't. I don't agree about Deadpool because I think Fox made a by the numbers Deadpool movie, and I think if Disney, if Marvel had owned Deadpool from the start, I think we would have gotten. A Deadpool but they also they also tested Deadpool, and that money came out of Ryan Reynolds' pocket for like ten years before that movie ever came out. They didn't. They didn't believe in Deadpool. Deadpool was shelved until Ryan Reynolds himself leaked footage from the movie that people loved. I I I don't think I I I see Kevin Feige and Marvel thinking that there's a great PG-13 Deadpool movie. And I actually think there is a great uh, PG-13 Deadpool movie. I don't think he would have thought, okay, well, if it's Deadpool, it needs to be R-rated. Because the comics aren't even like that. They're like they they publish Deadpool comics right now that are not R-rated. I don't, I don't think that they would have, that their heads would have automatically gone there. And I do think that there's a huge tonal difference between the Fox movies and the MCU ones. And I just want to explain why. First of all, Logan and Deadpool. Second of all, Days of Future Past, First and First Class are totally different than anything that you would have ever gotten from the MCU so far. They're riskier. They're darker. They're more serious. They're more political. The only movie that you could really lump into that is like uh, Captain America Winter Soldier. And even then, the X-Men movies have a much more uh, dark tone to them. And that's something that I don't think that's I don't think that Marvel would never change. I just think that if they that that there are people who want that, like I love that. When they get it right, I, I can't get enough of that. I wish they got it right every time, but they don't. But if they did, that's what I want to see. And I'm worried as a person who thinks this is the best idea ever. And like this genuinely makes me happy throughout my day thinking about Marvel acquiring Fox. Like I actually get great feelings throughout the day. That worries me. It worries me that we won't get that tone that we've gotten for stuff that should be taken seriously. I think you're right. I think I, th- I and I sort I think this sort of goes back to what we were saying when we were reading, you know, answering Al's question. I think I think we are at a point where because of Logan and Deadpool, the need for that stuff is coming. Uh and I, well and it's here. Uh but I think I think Marvel will start to see it and they're going to be forced to start uh to see it. Um I mean they're not dumb. Yeah. I th- I do I do agree with you. I think that I don't think that we would have gotten like a Deadpool movie yet had Marvel still owned the all the property. Um it, Logan and Deadpool were both huge huge risks and uh I think that typically beca- because of the competition Marvel has been forced to kind of 
step up their game. And I think, uh, you know, we haven't even had a proper movie about a villain yet, you know? So I think, I think we're going to, Marvel eventually will have to start stepping out and start thinking of movies outside of the, the hero part of the superhero genre. And so that's where we're going to start seeing them expand. And you mean like moving beyond even like some of the genre bending stuff they're doing now with like, like the Ant-Man or like the sci-fi movie with Ragnarok, like outside of that? I mean, yeah, they'll have to do like a Doctor Doom movie you know, at some point or, or like a Loki movie. Yeah. I, I want to see, I don't know. Cause it's like, I don't have a problem with the Marvel house style, but I think their on their unwillingness to move away from it. Even a little bit at all is a huge problem, you know? I, Cause I think like civil war is a good example of one of the only movies that I feel like actually steps outside of that to some degree in a way that feels meaningful. Like, there are moments in Civil War that are really heavy for a Marvel movie. You know, not really heavy by, like, any movie standards, but, like, the fight between Iron Man and Cap is, like, very intense. You know, it's 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 not, like, jokey or fun or anything. And, yeah, there are jokey, quippy moments in Civil War, but, like, it has a tone that feels, like, just a little bit over from the MCU proper. And like, I think we need more films from them that are comfortable going that extra mile to move outside of it where appropriate for the character. You know, I don't need dark movies for everything, but it's like, as much as I really liked Thor Ragnarok, I'm disappointed that like, we won't get the serious planet Hulk story because of that. You know, because, like, there is a really good, serious story about war and loss there that will never get told in the MCU. And it's unfortunate that we can't see these characters do something a little bit more emotionally driven. Well, speaking to your point, though, and, and in keeping with the conversation of Fox, Civil War, I, I mean, I love that movie, nothing happened that will not be rectified in infinity war um no one died not like war machine was critically injured but he's he's back he's obviously um, still in the trailer like he, right he's he's still Rhodes is is still war machine nothing's everything's fine the characters may not like each other right now but they're gonna like each other a lot when thanos comes down whereas you know you may or may not like these movies but the X-Men movies so far have killed a lot of people. They killed Jean Grey. They killed Cyclops. They killed Professor X. They killed Wolverine. They're not, af- they have not been afraid to go there. And I don't want to lose that in the transition. Mar- I mean, to be fair, a bunch of people are going to die in Infinity War, right? <laughs> we'll see. Uh, we- we'll see. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure I'm convinced. Marco. Uh, I did just want to bring up one other point, but with regard to like them not releasing an R-rated movie or any time in the future, like 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 just just to like the argument of whether or not like Marvel takes risks, I think that like shows like Daredevil and um, the Punisher. I mean, I think that those took risks that I feel like maybe those are sort of the stepping stones to. Uh, to translating that to a movie 
or like, like that kind of um, that kind of content into I think that's a, a movie. Point. So I I hadn't considered those those shows, but the reason why it doesn't give me hope is number one that was in conjunction with Netflix. Number two, that's on television and not it's it's actually not on television. It's on Netflix where ratings don't matter. Disney wants to make maximum cash. Uh, maximum cash is not in an R-rated movie. That's a fact. You can't make maximum money when you can't take kids to see a movie. Um, now, are they willing to put that aside to just make a great movie that has an R-rated tag where appropriate? Kevin Feige seems to think so. We will see. That's something we can't say. But they haven't done it yet. Um, but Logan and Deadpool just proved you can do it and make money. So we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. With a smaller budget. With a smaller budget and a, and a smaller return. Because again, when you can't take kids to see them, that cha- that shifts the projections entirely. Yeah. But, De- but Deadpool made a fuckload of money. Uh, it's like, I, I think I could, because like one of the things that we always talk about on this show, and one of the things that I regularly see people like Phil, um, attack Marvel for online is that like they they should make more director driven movies they should have more small you know movies that aren't so focused on the MCU at at large and I think that's true I think that's a I think we're at the point where like we can get over that aspect of of the Marvel universe that every movie is feeding into one story you know that it's all you know because like that's really cool this one time and it's an event that they've been working on for a decade and like they said that there's going to be a distinct difference after this i think that should be the difference like let's just be like hey guess what we're aware of the marvel universe we get how the marvel universe works we understand that all these things take place in the same world sometimes they're going to touch up against each other but they can all be distinct and unique and have their own tone and their own style because that's what comic books are like and I don't think that, like, you look at the Netflix stuff, right? Like, you're right. It was in conjunction with Netflix. But all those shows, like, kind of have their own style and their own tone. They're not all the same. And I don't think it's, like, to me, they don't feel like they're not in the MCU. You know, I know a lot of people are, like, they have such a distinctly different tone. And, like, yeah, they do. But it's, like, I still know that that's the same New York where the Avengers fought the Shatari. Like, that's true. That's what it is. And, like, I don't think that there's any problem with having different tones. Like, I think people are, like, exposed to superheroes enough to realize that you can have a guy who does magic or a god or a scientist or whatever, and that it's all in the same place and it all is cohesive because comic books work that way. That, yeah, I mean, I think I think as far as tonal differences, that that point is, is uh, very, very strong. And hopefully by now, very obvious. Um, Marvel has a style, though, that has worked really well, and we'll see if they're willing to change it. Um, But I do have a couple more questions before we wrap this baby up. Uh, Specifically with the X-Men. How do you guys think... Do you guys think that it works without having to reboot that the X-Men... And, and the Fantastic Four, to a lesser extent, although I think that's more doable, that the X-Men have existed the whole time. How do you put those two worlds together or those three worlds together, whatever, without a reboot? Or do you think that a reboot is required to make sense of this? 
Do you mean a reboot in the sense of of like, the MCU? Oh no, uh, I don't think they need that. I think it'll it's a thing of just like similar to what they do in in the comics for, or for certain ones at least, where it's like oh they've always been around, um, but like now they're becoming more prevalent. They're coming out of the out of sort of out of the the cracks and they're they're forming. So I think if they bring it up in that way, sort of retweaking the origin a little bit um and just having them like oh yeah by the way on top of this there are also people who have mutant powers and it's just sort of coming out of the woodworks like that yeah i i don't think it's hard to explain it really because like I, I think you just make it that the x-men haven't been a major force you know that it's like yeah charles xavier and magneto have been around doing their thing in the background or whatever but like they have secret identities you know they're hiding the fact that they're mutants because they don't want people to know and you know, Xavier has had his school and whatever. And, you know, because of the events of, you know, Avengers four or whatever, like they decided it was time that they got to join the superhero community. Cause we have these gifts and we can do something and, you know, whatever they could even explain it through Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. Like, Oh yeah, those miracles, they were mutants the whole time. Like fucking a. Yeah. I think, I think we're, we're getting a soft reboot as it is so that would be a perfect time for them to jump in and just slide right yep. in and with fantastic four we we had a whole bit in a previous episode where we talked about how it could be a time travel thing or whatever you know like they famously disappeared when they went into space in the 60s or whatever and then they just fucking land in in new york city modern day and the fantastic four have arrived like okay great that'd be cool the original superheroes are back <laughs> to cap it off, do you guys think that there is and, – and let's not talk about, like, the Monopoly thing. Forget that. Do you guys think that there is a risk if this deal goes through, which, of course, the FTC could block it. The Federal Trade Commission could just say, no, this isn't happening. But if it goes through, do you guys think that this could ruin and cause people to not want – more superhero movies. No. I don't know why it would. Yeah, not at this point. I think I think I think we're we're a ways off from that and we're several missteps away from that. Like even even if Marvel puts out a couple of turds here soon, you know, say Avengers 4 flops, say, you know, Captain Marvel's garbage, uh and then, you know, uh, Spider-Man Homecoming 2 or whatever uh, is trash. I, You know, I think we've still got three or four more movies before people are like, nah, these Marvel movies are shit. I'm not going to do this. So you feel like it's more a question of um, quality than um, burnout? I think the burnout is there. Uh, but I think with the addition of something like X-Men and the Fantastic Four, uh, and even stuff like Logan and Deadpool, I think, you know, if they do it right and do it well, and, uh, you know, by, by all accounts, like, I, you know, I, I think they will. Um, I think, I think the, the burnout will continue to be staved off. But I do see, like I said, I do see the need for things to change 
coming and coming fairly soon. Yeah, I would say I absolutely echo Kale's sentiments there. You know, um, if anything, I think this could do some good for the overall market because I think, like we said, I, I don't think any of us believe that Disney's going to majorly ramp up production and start putting out six superhero movies a year. I think as long as they don't do that, as long as they use these I, th- these two IP specifically in a smart way to grow their universes, this is honestly the perfect time for them because they're kind of moonlighting all of their big established franchises right now. And they said that they're going to focus on more, you know, lesser known characters, which is not a bad idea. But to have these two things as like a breath of fresh air into the universe, not only for popular characters like the Fantastic Four and Wolverine and Professor X and Magneto, but for all of the things that it supports in the Marvel Universe, like having access to all the cosmic stuff now that they're going to space, having the ability to like not have to worry about how they're breaking up. We have Skrulls. We're doing Skrulls. We have the Fantastic Four. Let's do this. You know, like Doctor Doom, Galactus. There are so many big tentpole things that were never on the table that are on the table again. And those are all things that'll get people excited. And I think to Kale's point, if they're handled well, that's what's going to matter. Burnout is real, but if they are conscious of that and adjust their strategy to try and um, combat that, I don't think that they're going to have a problem. I don't think the issue is with superheroes or superhero movies. It's with how many we're getting and how we're getting them. And the fact that we're going to maybe just lose three of them a year, even if it is the competition, that's going to be more room. You know, we're not going to see 12 superhero movies a year on this show anymore. We're going to see what, uh, eight? Okay, like, that might actually matter. Like, that might feel different for us as an audience. So uh, there's a, so many what-ifs that we just don't know yet. And until we have the specifics of, did the deal go through? And here's our plans for Fantastic Four and X-Men. Until we know that much, like, it's hard to say. But I'm with Kale that, like, they haven't fucked it up yet. Why would they now? Marco? I'm the resident anti-superhero guy, so I mean, uh, like the burnout for me, <laughs> like the burnout for me is real. Um, but like even even in in the comics world, like I pick up, I'm picking up um, Mr. Miracle because it's Tom King. It's a good, uh, it's a good book. It's uh, it's quality content. Like I'm I'm there for the content, even if it is in a superhero. Um, world or in a superhero scenario like setting I'm I'm there for the content Um, and as for the the burnout that's just like me in general and I mean you're gonna have people who you know superheroes are gonna get tired Um, I'm tired I guess of of superheroes so um, but there is the respect and the value for that so I mean you know it depends. Okay. Uh, I'm with all of you. I, I I think that this can be nothing but good, mostly because I trust Kevin Feige. Uh, Kevin Feige has, or people around him have told um, different outlets that he is eager to get his hands on the X-Men. Uh, I believe that. I believe that he understands what's required to make those characters work. Uh, the Fantastic Four as well, and I think that um, I think that if anything, 
people will be excited to see this happen and that that excitement is going to uh, stave off or eliminate whatever burnout people are feeling. The fact that there will be less movies overall will help with that. And um, ultimately, I think quality is king. And as long as the movies stay good, which there's no reason to assume that they won't, and as long as Marvel is willing to try new things with their films, which they have done, and there are no, there's no reason for me to think that they won't continue, then this is the best thing that, that could be happening right now. So I'm really excited. I think specifically with the X-Men, like that transition is going to be tough. I know that the Fox tone is often a good one. But I think one thing that those movies don't really get right is I, I feel like the dark element works for the X-Men. But I think one of the things that makes the X-Men so good is when they're not that way. Is that like the X-Men are inspiring, you know? And I think before this new initiative of Marvel introducing um, a diverse range of characters, the X-Men were the place to go for, you know, a more diverse cast of characters and like a, a, a more, um, you know. Almost let, family feel. Yeah, family, and but it was also just, like, it was always about embracing, like, who you were and being weird and all that stuff, and, and it was very much built on the relationships between these very human characters, you know, that people could relate to, and I think that's something that I feel like has kind of been missing in, in the Fox movies to some degrees. I, I don't always get the, you know, I felt that way a lot more in some of the earlier movies, but I feel like as the franchise has been rebooted and re-evolved and stuff... I don't necessarily feel like the current cast of X-Men, like I get a sense that there's the camaraderie that I want to see. And, and I wouldn't mind getting a little bit lighter take on those characters. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I just can't wait to see Marvel finally have all their freaking characters back. So Yeah, man. And to not have to like see the X-Men and the Fantastic Four get marginalized in like the Marvel proper. You know, like we can get Wolverine back on the fucking box of a video game again and stuff like that. Not have to pretend that they don't exist. It changes yep. everything. Yep. But that stuff we'll talk about later. Um for now, uh we're gonna leave it there. Uh definitely do let us know your thoughts on this hot button issue. Um, whether you're excited or not and what your concerns are. Um you can Write to us, thecomicspals at gmail.com. Uh, you can also leave us a comment on iTunes while you're there. Drop us a rating, preferably a five-star one. Um, of course, whatever Phil's not here, we are a six-star podcast. But hey, um, we are at the Comics Pals all over social media. And last but not least, certainly not least, we are on YouTube where you can drop us a comment, uh, like the video, share it with your friends, and subscribe to the channel if you haven't. Um, if you haven't, and you like, if you listen to us on iTunes or whatever, uh, just take the few seconds it would take to go over to YouTube, type us, type us in, and uh, drop that subscribe. It'll help a lot. So thanks, and we'll do some plugs. Pete, go ahead. Yeah, thank you guys so much for joining us here on another episode of the Comics Pals. If you guys want to check out uh, some more stuff with me, you can catch me and Sean on the Video Game Pals, which posts the day after the Comics Pals on whatever platform you're following us on, um, where we talk about video games in very much the same kind of format with a different crew. So if you haven't checked that show out, that show out yet, and you're a gamer, please do. 
Um, I'm the host on that one, so uh, hopefully that's a good thing for you. Um, you can also catch me on our Let's Play show Monday through Friday with Thompson from the Video Game Pals. It's called Pals Play. Um, we have a brand new series that we kicked off last week, uh, Doki Doki Literature Club, which is a hot game sweeping across the web right now. Um, Marco's giving us the horns because he liked it. So uh, go check that out if uh, if you're a fan of that kind of stuff. And then you can also catch um, me, Kale, and Marco on the Riverdale Review on Wednesdays. We've got a new episode up this Wednesday. Um, it posts everywhere on Wednesdays. And we've got a friend of the show, Betty from the Nerd... Not Betty, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Gabby from the Nerd League. Sorry, I got Riverdale on the mind um yeah so that, that was a fantastic episode and uh, i hope you'll check it out and then if you want to check out my writing i'm over on cbr i've got an article up this week about uh majin Buu from dragon ball z uh i would appreciate you go and giving it a click because it helps me pay the bills oh and then i'm on t- twitter and fucking all that stuff allot underscore pete sorry cool uh you can find my comics on comiXology under panels comics uh also, we have a little-known uh, selfie store where you can uh, buy even more uh, at selfie.com slash panels publishing. You'll find the second issue of uh, my my book and uh, uh, draw, drawn by Letty Wilson uh, uh, from the deep number two, uh, the story of the Finn Man, which may or not may or not may or may not be seeing a part two uh, soon. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Toto in Toe. That's T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W. All right, Marco. Cool. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Mr. Marco Animoto. Um, Matthew, Mur- Matthew Murphy is officially weeb trash for bringing that My Hero Academia in. Do better. Okay. What, what would you um, recommend? Not My Hero Academia. Marco's a hater ass hater. I, I listen, um, I don't understand how you can be such a weeb, but you'll trash just anything with superheroes. It that's different. Uh, uh, uh your swamp thing trash. Uh, that's fair. <laughs> um and uh also I just wanted to shout out uh a book that I read, Wild's End, by uh Dan Abnett and INJ Culbert. Um it was really good, so check it out. You can find Phil at Cyborg Bebop and tell him how much he sucks and you're glad he's not here. That's C-Y-B-O... I can't do it. Hang on, I got it, I got it. C-Y-B-O-R-G-B-E-B-O-P. Yeah. Uh, And as for me, I am at Sean Soapbox on Twitter only. You can tweet me to gush about uh, Jean Grey and Sophie Turner. And talk to me about how awesome it is that Marvel will own all their characters. So with that, we're in the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week. Who made a fart noise?